I was at a mastermind with somebody who's like a big like YouTube organic person who's great at YouTube organic. He was saying absolutely never run YouTube ads to promote any video. And I was saying, well, you know, here's where we agree, but also here's where we disagree with these in-feed ads, yeah. right? You can run in-feed ads and then it's just amplifying what your video your would do already. And, and we've seen across clients, right? It's like, as long as you have your watch time, be strong there and you got to monitor that then it's going to help it. So it's just amplifying the number of impressions you can get. Sure. And then it's up to the video's merits how that's going to help yeah. or, or harm your channel. Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends. If you're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Travis Makes Friends podcast. Today, I am making friends with Alaric Heck. Alaric, what's up, dude? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited. Yes, sir. For those who do not know, this guy is really like the king of YouTube ads inside of the online marketing space. If you are familiar with anybody that does online marketing, internet marketing, the Dean Graziosis, Grant Cardones, all these people that are buying advertisements that you are forced to watch all the time, probably all of them, if not all of them, have at least consulted with, paid, or worked with Alaric and his team in some way. When I say he's the master of YouTube ads, I genuinely mean that. And his his team has generated almost $30 million in online sales in the last few years. So the guy knows what he's talking about. So I'm stoked to jump into a conversation. Yeah, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited. Yeah, we're here in beautiful Austin. It is really hot right now. Yes, uh, very hot. Yeah, which is weird because I say that as a Vegas resident. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually came here and it's hotter here than it was in Vegas, which is rare. It's it's hard it's hard to beat Vegas's heat. In, yeah. in the middle of summer, but we did get a storm in recently. You know, it's only like 90 something there. It's only, it's only like 95. <laughs> here. It's like exactly. 105. It was the same thing. I was at an event in Cabo and I came back here and it was warmer here than, it, than yeah. in Cabo. You're like, this is not how it's supposed to be. Yeah, it's supposed to be right. warmer in Mexico, but anyways, it's funny. <laughs> it is what it is. Man. Yeah. It is what it is. Well, let's rewind the clock, bro. I know that uh, you've been doing this for a little while, but you got your start just being a YouTube creator. And it's really interesting for me because a buddy of mine, Chris Van Vliet, him and I are starting this this kind of education program to help creators go full-time, to help creators learn more about how to make money and actually grow their, mm-hmm. their content and things. So I'm really interested to talk to you about those things. However, I want to go back even further in time because I always find the path or the journey interesting. On the show, we talk to a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds who do a lot of different cool things. But the thing that everybody has in common is that nobody I've ever interviewed took the traditional path. And like just like went down and and got their degree and did this thing and then went and worked on Wall Street and now they're you know a hedge fund man like everybody I talk to is just has this really interesting unique way of how they got there. None of them were writing on their like you know fourth grade homework of what they want to be when they grow up. You know what I mean? I want to be a YouTube ads expert or yeah. coach or whatever. You know what I mean? Let's go back. Let's say nine year old Alaric. Tell me about like family life, set the scene for us. Where were you? What was life like for nine-year-old you? Yeah. So I was in uh, Chelmsford, Massachusetts, so kind of a suburb outside of Boston. Okay. And I remember, you know, growing up, I was always like fascinated with video, right? And I had like a video camera. we kind of, you know, upper middle class, you know, kind of upbringing. And so I think that there's definitely a good kind of degree of 
entrepreneurship that can be bred, especially, you know, kind of in that area. We kind of went from like middle class to upper middle class during like well, as I was growing up. And so we had enough to be able to just we didn't have to worry about that. But it also was we knew that there was more. I knew that there was more out there and I wanted to aspire to build, you know, kind of these bigger things. What did your parents do? My father was software engineer at, at Oracle and okay. my uh, my mom raised us and then she became a preschool teacher. Okay. She actually just released a book on a children's book. I'm becoming the best version of yourself. Called, oh, nice! Yeah, enough like Good a best her. self adventure. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Do you so need she, some YouTube ads to launch that. Or? Oh, we're yeah, we're <laughs> we're diving in. She she just launched it, so we've already got we've already got some Amazon ads up, and we're actually building out. I'm having her do like a read aloud uh, video, and we're gonna run that on YouTube as well. Nice, cool. Yeah, but that also kind of shows to, to how my upbringing was is that I learned from my father, you know, to be really diligent, work hard. And I learned from my mother, you know, that it was kind of that combination of that I'm enough as I am, but yeah. also to strive to be the best version of myself. And it's actually pretty cool, like full circle that she kind of wrote a, a children's book on that. But basically, that was kind of what I was inspired by is, you know, how can I become the best version of myself? But I did have, you know, really loving and supporting, you know, family. Seems like you got a little bit of influence on both like the IQ and the EQ. You know, yes. like, to be a preschool teacher, you have to have very high emotional intelligence. Yes. You know, like I... I I can't imagine doing oh. that as a job yeah. <laughs> and, and props. And thank you so much to all of you yeah. preschool teachers out there for, for taking, you know, for molding the next generation yeah. for the rest of us. We appreciate you, but the high, high degree emotional of emotional intelligence, but then yes. for your dad to be a software engineer for Oracle, assumingly a high degree of, yeah. of, of IQ as yes. well. And you kind of got that, you know, yes. yin and yang a little bit from, from both your parents. Exactly. And they were always really supportive, but at the same time, I, they also, they weren't entrepreneurs themselves. And so mm -hmm. what I was looking for as I was kind of creating different things is figuring out like, what can I do to build a different path? And so I think that's where they were really supportive in that area of me going out and, you know, kind of really figuring out how I wanted to do my, my different entrepreneurship and different ventures. I, I even remember when I was young, like even when I was nine, I had a lemonade stand. It's a classic entrepreneur story. I'm sure people watching can resonate with it. But I had this lemonade stand to kind of give a good picture of like where we were at growing up is we, we were able to be on the street with the swim and tennis club, but we didn't belong to that club. Right. So mm. it was kind of like that's kind of like where, where we were at and that type of thing. And so on that street, there were a lot of people that just walking up and down, you know, during the summer to go to go swim. And uh, I would set up my lemonade stand there. And I remember my parents taught me from a young age too the importance of profit, not just revenue. So I remember the first time I was a little confused. They're like, well, this is the money that's going towards the supplies. And it was a really valuable lesson, right? Sure. Because yeah. it's like, hey, this is what These actually went in. There's real costs. <laughs> and I'm so grateful for that. And when I was a kid, I was like, wait, what's going on? You know, yeah. but, but now I'm so grateful for that lesson because it's like, well, this is what you put into buying these things right. and you made more than that. That's your, and the difference is your profit. And so I remember learning that from a young age too. And one of my early memories of kind of marketing and without even really knowing it is, I, so I had that lemonade stand. I just happened to be in kind of a good street to, to sell lemonade. And I was doing it, you know, during the, the, the summer. Sometimes I'd be out there every day and definitely, you know, on the weekends and everything, I would, I would be selling my lemonade. And I remember in the fall, the fall came and not as many people were walking down the street, right? They either weren't going to swim or if they were going to play tennis, they were driving in. I didn't have as many people, but I wanted to sell my lemonade on the weekends. And so I was trying to figure out, okay, where do I go to be able to sell this lemonade? And then the idea struck me. I didn't even realize I was kind of marketing at the time, yeah. but I was thinking, well, where do people go in the fall? Where's the traffic? They go to yard sales and garage sales. And so what I did was I you know, saw in the paper, all right, here's, here's where all the 
yard sales and garage sales are like on my street, I would go knock on their door, which I had some experience because I was, you know, in the Boy Scouts and I would sell like popcorn and stuff door to door. So I'd knock on their door and say, hey, saw you, I got a you know garage sale. Can I sell my like lemonade nice. at your sale? Like Smart. you can have as much lemonade as you want. And then people will stay longer. And so I didn't even really realize that, you know, I was kind of learning about marketing and joint ventures. And and so that's probably one of my earlier memories of diving into that. And and my parents were, were always really supportive in, in all of that side of things. And, you know, as a, as a kid having kind of the, the lemonade stand, the, the classic, yeah. classic story. Were you kind of a big education family? Where they were, I would assume, yes. you know, software engineer and teacher as parents. Like, yes. they, they very much hardcore about, like, you got to go get an education type of thing. Very, very much. And I'll actually get into that too, because, you know, I did go through, uh, I, I got my, you know, full college degree and I'll get into, like, while I was still building my, my businesses. So I'll get into that as, as we get later in the story. But, you know, also as we dive into here, that was definitely something growing up is that I really had this kind of very big kind of focus on education. And I think that that was something that I also was a little self conscious about. My brother would always like, you know, probably ace like, you know, all the different tests and things. And so just for you, context, so your brother would excel in yeah, that setting. Yeah, my and, younger, yeah, my okay. younger brother. And for context, uh, just so you, you have the picture, he's now doing his PhD at Stanford. So he's doing like, yeah, so he's, <laughs> he's he went to a totally different, the other track, right? The yeah. very academic. Again, he's doing man. physical chemistry. Yeah. Incredible. I don't even fully understand all the things that he yeah. he talks don't about. Even try he's, to explain it. Yeah, he's he's, he's he's incredibly smart. But and you know, he would always be doing that, and and there was definitely you know pressure on my side to also do similar, you know, academically. Sure. And I think that's one thing that if there's somebody watching who's maybe on the the younger side. But I remember in high school, I had this pressure to take all like all of the honors classes. And I was smart enough and able to get into all those classes, right? But the thing is, I loved kind of problem solving. I learned this later on. It's like the mm -hmm. business side of it. I, the business smarts and the test, like test taking and all those different things, I actually can do really well, but not like perfect. I didn't have like a, you know, uh, a perfect like photographic memory, I, sure, you yeah. know, I, I kind of sell more in problem solving. And so what I found was I took all of those different classes. All of a sudden I was prior to that, like kind of top of the class. But once I took all kind of honors and AP classes, I became kind of an average like honor student, which was kind of, you know, so obviously still in those classes, but you know, that's where I was getting, you know, not just A's, but also B's and like some of those other things. And so there definitely was some pressure growing up around around that side of it. Yeah. I mean, how, yeah. how could there not be? The thing is, like when you're growing up, there's not many other things to measure your like success by. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like school is like the only thing because that's your job. Yeah. Every kid's job is being at school. We make this mistake of judging kids based off of their academic excellence when it only is built to reward mm -hmm. the one type of learner or student that excels in that particular vein. It's good that you are doing other things outside of that to yeah. build confidence. Not to say, like, obviously you were still a good student to be getting A's yeah. and honors classes and stuff. But I think there's a lot of kids out there that just, they take such a hit in their confidence level yeah. because they, they compare themselves to all these other kids or siblings who are, are doing better in school. And, and it's just, it's just not an indication of whether or not you're going to be successful in life, yeah. at least in 2023 or, or in 2000 and beyond. You know what I mean? Maybe maybe it mattered in 1950 or whatever when you needed good <laughs> test scores and you needed yeah. to go to college. And yeah. There weren't many people with bachelor degrees and you could get the best job and it yeah. paid a little bit better. You know, but yep. now like the this just diminishing returns at this point when you have like the average college degree being five or six times what it was in 1950 or 10 yeah. times what it was in 1950. And then the average starting salary of a college graduate declining 
from 2000. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, well, where do we like make up this is this discrepancy? You know what I mean? So it's good that you had these kind of external factors like lemonade stands, different things like that yeah. that you're working on that enabled you to be like, even if like my brother does this path better than like, it doesn't mean that I can't do this other thing yeah. in, in, in this other context. Yeah. What did you end up going to college for? Yeah. Well, and actually even before that, so by YouTube channel, I actually started that when I was, when I was 12. So yeah. And you know, I got, got an earlier start on that and you know, prior to that, I had that lemonade stand, so I had developed entrepreneurship and, and a desire for that. But I also was filming videos with friends. I had a video camera. I loved it. I, I taught myself at an early age how to like edit on Adobe like Premiere, like Premier, back yeah. when you'd load in all like the the you know the CS like discs and stuff into the computer and yeah. and and I remember learning how to edit and learning that element of it. And back in July of 2009, Jeez. yeah, like 14 years ago, YouTube was such a new platform, I was only a few years that. old. That was like when, yeah. that was basically when all that was on YouTube was like Charlie bit my finger. Yeah, and, exactly. Like, you know, exactly. It was like, you only went to YouTube for like these seven viral videos. And like, that was yep. basically all of YouTube. Exactly. And so I got in really early and I was able to create videos on mobile app reviews, tech tutorials, teaching people how to use their iPhone. It just started off as, you know, showing the best mobile apps. Which was also brand new yes. at the time. I had yeah. just gotten, exactly. And it wasn't even the funny thing. It wasn't even an iPhone at that time. It was an iPod Touch. I was going to say, I think I got my first iPhone in 2000, 2009, 2010, yep. like somewhere. I, I was Because yeah. I graduated high school in 2010. Yeah. And I my senior year, I remember I, I had a landscaping business. That mm -hmm. was my first thing after selling a bunch of stuff in elementary school. But my landscaping business, I felt like I was balling because I got to buy my own iPhone. And yeah. I was like, show, you know, I, I had the cool apps yeah. on my phone, like the cool games. Mm -hmm. like, what was that one? Doodle Jump. And, yes, Doodle Jump. Yeah, yeah, and, all, yeah. the, all the good ones oh, back yeah. in the day. So you're, doing, so you're doing mobile app reviews and yes. like tech reviews and and stuff yeah. like that on your YouTube channel. And I loved, when I got it, it's the exact same thing. Everybody, especially if you think back then, everybody wanted to show off. If you had totally. you know, one of these iPhone tap, tap or iPhone. Revenge. Type, here's all, I know all the ones <laughs> you're talking about. And so what I would do is I would show all the best mobile apps, all the best games. And I started to post that on the channel and I was getting thousands of views and then wow. tens of thousands of views. And people were just watching these because at the time also everything cost money, right? So it was like, you want to buy yeah. Doodle Jump 99 cents. Well, how good is it? You know, and if people were looking that up and and even if they were looking up on Google, the YouTube video would, would appear. And so people would then click on it. They'd watch it. And, you know, I was talking about it. So you were making a little bit of money for monetization at that point. It did right? take a couple years to, okay. to get. So that was when you had to apply for the YouTube partner program. So right. I actually had to apply. Uh, I got denied three times before I actually got approved. So it's another like, you know, if, if, yeah. even if somebody says no, just keep trying, just keep going back. You know, it's funny is like, I think that was the first time I ever learned the word monetization. It mm -hmm. was when like a couple buddies of mine and I were like looking at YouTube and trying to do stuff. And I saw that word. And I was like, I don't yeah. know what that means. Yeah. That's a big word. <laughs> yeah. I mean? I had to look it up and figure out like, what is monetize? What does that even mean? You know what I mean? That's a long time ago, man. Yeah. And I remember I did get monetized and the channel really started to take off. It really took off when I started teaching people how to use their iPhone. Okay. So that's actually something I'm really, you know, uh, proud of, of doing is I've made complete, like, these complete beginner's guides. So full hour long video, A to Z, how to use your iPhone. And around the iPhone 4, iPhone, around like, yeah, iPhone 4, um, is when it really started to take right off. When, right when Siri those, started coming out. Yes, and yeah. those videos got millions of views. Wow. So my iPhone 7 beginner's guide video is my most popular video. It's got over 8 million views. And it's an hour long. And the average watch time on that is like over 20 minutes. So people wow. are watching a good degree of this video. And made a good amount of money. On yeah, that and it made, it made a good amount of money. 
And so by the time I was in, you know, I think a sophomore in, in high school, I remember I was already, I was making around like $60,000 a year from Jeez. the YouTube channel. What, what are your, what are your yeah. parents saying about yeah. at this point? I, I think that it's kind of interesting. So they're, they're always really supportive and they're impressed. I think they thought that it may pass or they sure. also didn't want me to. I think that what they were nervous about now, this is in hindsight, right? I think they were nervous about me, you know, potentially not focusing on school or dropping out or not going to college and then having it not work out. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's also why at the time I felt like they were, oh, they were always supportive, but I also kind of felt like they didn't see the longevity of it. Yeah, right. And I Which, think- I mean, totally understandable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, If you're a parent and you're yeah. looking at your kid and it's yeah. like, wait, you're doing what? You yeah. made how much? It sounds like a fad or whatever, you know? It's yeah. like, like, okay, cool. Do that if you want, but yeah. also- you need to do this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And so that was that was kind of the mentality there. But at the same time, it was bringing in you know real money. And I think also part of it too is is they were also you know they were definitely excited because what they were seeing this as this is great. This is going to be great to also help you get into college and get like they were thinking about this as like almost like a, a resume item. Sure. Sure. And and there was tr definitely truth to that too in terms of getting into you know like you can go into college and stuff. And, and paying for college and helping totally. with that as well. Yeah. And and at the at the same time, I knew I wanted to build something bigger. So now, you know, so I went to UMass Amherst. So went to the Eisenberg School of Management, and I did go for marketing. And there's a lot of valuable principles I learned there. I think I was definitely learning more, like building my business and doing my own sure. marketing. Of course, I really fondly look back at my time there. I was ran the entrepreneurship club there, and that's oh, kind of cool. like. You know, and I, I put some things in place and kind of grew it to a size that still, you know, kind of to this day continues to, to support entrepreneurship like re and real entrepreneurship, too. That was the sure. thing. Like when I remember when I got there, there was a few people that wanted to really like make entrepreneurship a bigger thing on campus. And I think that one of the one of the uh, one of the things was there was kind of this push for more of the academic thought around entrepreneurship versus the actual doing. So, that was yeah, very yeah. much on the doing side. Let's get people in here, the philosophy actually being a practitioner. Yeah. 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 And, you know, doing different things like, like you launch, which was an event that I created, I created, they're kind of modeled after, you know, startup weekend and three day startup, but essentially, you know, launching your business over the course of a weekend and, and having that be something that the university does. It's funny. They send me these like alumni packets. Cause I, I cause I've, I've donated a few times to the entrepreneurship club. Like, so they send me these alumni packets and inside they have the U launch event. I'm like, ooh, that's that's the uh, oh, they're really? highlighting. Still, and I'm like, still have it. That's, huh? I'm like, that's there you go. That's that's, nice. that's kind of the legacy there. But but basically, when I was got to college, I remember immediately wanted to systematize and turn my YouTube channel into a business because I was determined to have this be what I did when I graduated from college and or something along these lines. Where you like, didn't have to go apply exactly. For jobs. And so yeah. because I was even this stopped after my freshman year, after my business business really started to take off, but. I was even having some pressure about, okay, what are you, your freshman summer, are you going to do an internship? I'm like, I'm, I'm doing my, I've got yeah. my business. Yes, I, mean, I, I have for me. Yeah, for me. <laughs> yeah. I have my business doing, yeah, I'm going to you know, work was, for free for somebody. Yeah, it's going to exactly. be exactly. And it was, it's funny because I was already bringing in like six figures a year from my, low, low six figures at that time for my YouTube channel. So for monetization, so I had a few different ways I was monetizing. So I systematized it my, my freshman year of college where I had YouTube ad revenue, like monetization, yep. which was in the 60 to 100,000, you know, a year kind of territory. And that was the bulk of it. But also I had sponsorships. Okay. So direct sponsorships, apps reaching out saying, hey, we want to feature, sure. you know, inside these different videos. 
the channel we did over 300 sponsorships over the you know wow. and it's it's still I still actually and I can get to this later I still have the channel I've got a we hired a a content uh, person sure. in yeah in California to do it now but basically I was able to systematize the channel where I got a and these were all just kind of college students that I that I found through my entrepreneurship club. And yeah. so somebody to write the scripts, somebody yeah. to edit the videos. Got your own interns. Yeah, somebody, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Somebody to uh, do business development, reply to the emails. At one point, we were getting 50 to 100 emails a day with people that wanted to feature their app on the channel, wow. which was which was crazy. And then a small percentage of those would turn into sponsorship deals, sure. essentially. So we would go back and forth with them. And then the other revenue source was affiliate marketing. Okay. So one thing that I learned is, well, wait a second, if I'm teaching people how to download how to use their phone and download an app what if i show them how to download a sponsored app sure and you know disclose that it's sponsored but you know what's an app that they would all like one of the early you know kind of affiliate deals i did was an app it was like ibotta so it was grocery like coupons like and it was perfect because that was the exact demographic the people that were watching it you know like th- these were people that probably were going grocery shopping and probably yeah. want to save on their bill and they could go and download this app and and it was an easy sell because I'm teaching them how to download an app using my affiliate link and telling them that this app is only going to save them money and earn them cash back. And then I get my, you know, so yeah. it, it, it was it was great. And so I systematized there was the whole process right there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I systematized the whole process and I had the whole YouTube channel down to a science where I had the script writers, the video editors, the business development. And I kind of was just the face and voice and I would come in and also the strategy. And so I was able to systematize that to essentially, and I remember reading Four Hour Work Week, mm-hmm. and I systematized it to essentially be roughly a four hour work week in terms of what I was doing on the YouTube channel. I also was a full time student, but I knew that I had some more time because I was just crazy and I wanted to build the next business. And so that's where the next business kind of came apparent to me. And I think this is really valuable for you know anybody who's listening too is that sometimes you just have to look for what what's that next opportunity, right? And so. It, it like kinda, how can you use yeah. your existing skill set, yes. the things you've already been working on, yes. the knowledge that you have to go vertical? Because that, that's that, I feel like that's a mistake I see a lot of people make when they're when they're starting their second business or their yeah. second income stream for their first business is they go completely outside of the realm. It's like you're doing YouTube yeah. and creator stuff and affiliates and sponsorships, and then you go start a like a lawn mowing business or something. It's like, well, wait a second. Yeah. Like, I mean, can you? Yeah, sure, but yeah. why? You yeah, start exactly. something that uses the things that you've been learning over the last four years of working on this business mm-hmm. to move into this like adjacent business mm-hmm. where customers, clients, and everything is kind of intertwined, right? Yeah. And when you have a big opportunity too, and and just also trusting that you know, if you're going in and you're really refining and honing your skills and you're doing whatever that business or side hustle or whatever it is, that there is going to be a golden opportunity. You just have to keep your eyes open for it and then seize it when it comes. And that's what happened. Um, and this was still my my uh, kind of the, the second half of my, my freshman year of college. What ended up happening is there was a mobile app. This was like a social media networking app. They, they hired us to do or paid us a sponsorship fee to, to do a video. They got a bunch of downloads, I think like a thousand downloads, something like that. And they're like, this is great. Can you post the same video tomorrow? Like we want to do, we want to run the same video to your channel tomorrow and double the downloads. And I'd explain it doesn't really necessarily work like that. Yes, they'll, they'll get more downloads, but it's not going to be the exact same results right. as when we first published it because that's the first time our audience saw this, this app. But then I asked them, well, what if we take that budget and they were, they were going to pay, I think like $500. What if we take that $500? 
And we put it directly into YouTube ads to promote this video. And I was playing around with YouTube ads a little bit. Like at that point, I was doing a couple like small, like kind of channel growth subscriber ads, but I hadn't done it to actually run any like actual promotion. And so they were a little skeptical because all the ads at that time, because this was, well, actually that was, that was in 2015. Then it was, but it went span from 2015 to 2016. That was like 2015. And there wasn't uh, really a lot of people other than, you know, the big companies like Ford and Geico and stuff running ads on YouTube. Mm. And, and they had this, their self-service platform, but it just, not as many people were doing it. They were a little skeptical. I convinced them. We take $500 in one week, we get 11,000 users for their app. So they're blown away. Oh my God. It's, and then that same company, they had other, so we kept running that promotion into the next year. Then that same company had a few other apps as well. So there was, there was kind of this performance marketing company that was kind of the middle person between it. So okay, they were kind gotcha. of having me be the influ like influencer before gotcha. it was a word. You know, they were kind of so they were kind of like a performance marketing yeah performance agency marketing agency for the app developer company. exactly exactly. And so essentially, they had that app that we were promoting, but then they had another app that that later became really successful. I can tell you tell you offline what that one was, but that actually turned into a, a unicorn uh, company, which is which is pretty cool. A different app, and this was kind of a a, a period of time when they were just blitzing ads on TV and everywhere. And they were doing social media ads. And I didn't do all their YouTube ads. They actually were of the size that they were doing some other like kind sure. of direct ads. But the performance marketing company had hired a bunch of influencers to do dedicated videos. And what I was doing was running those dedicated videos as YouTube ads right to then get the signups for that app yeah and so you were just big... far outperforming all the other influencers that were working on exactly because yeah. i was going in and and not just promoting my video but they had big name like 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 much larger youtube influencers you know people with millions and millions of subscribers that they had gotten that i was then running and managing their ads and you know and it was in like thousand couple thousand dollars a day as like the second or third campaign that I had really ran for anybody, which was, which, but at the same time, it was intuitive to me. I didn't realize, like, now I look back and know that, you know, obviously it was something that I kind of had a feel for and sure. I learned on as I, as I went, but there was no guide at the time I was going through when I was doing it. And the time also with, with YouTube ads, it wasn't actually optimized based on conversions, I was the algorithm. You had to go in manually and say, okay, this, mm -hmm. this campaign is, is producing results. This one isn't versus now, you know, there's, there's also like an algorithm, of course, that, sure. you know, kind of auto optimizes, which also is one of the things that makes us really good at helping YouTube ads now is because I understand what the algorithm is doing. Cause I used to do it manually, mm. go in and manually say, okay, these, you know, keywords or these audiences that they're performing, these ones aren't. And so essentially that uh, performance marketing company, they call me up. They're like, hey, we want you to drop out of college, fly out here to Silicon Valley, join our team. We're all, you know, like we're all in our 20s. Like you're going to fit right in, you know, six figure offer options, you know, stock options of capability. And it was really tempting because I was in, you know, yeah, think about it, right? And like were you freshman, 19, 20. Yeah. And, and they were 18? even, they even said, you could keep doing your YouTube channel. Actually, we'd love for you to keep doing your YouTube channel. So they were kind of giving me, that Keys big, you know, yeah. big opportunity that I probably was, that I was even really kind of almost dreaming about, but with the one catch that I wouldn't be running it and I would be kind of like a knight in their mm -hmm. castle and in their, mm -hmm. their army. And I knew that I wanted to be the, the king of my own castle. I wanted to build my own, like I, I had that entrepreneurial, yeah. you know, element. 
And I knew that I wanted to build it myself. And so it was really painful to turn it down. Yeah. But at the same time, I knew I was making the right decision. And so what I was able to do was I kept running some promotions for them. And then I tapped all of my app developer network. So I had worked with, like I told you, like 300 apps, right? And that time it was, it was less, but maybe like 150, 200 apps or something like that. And so I remember reaching back out to these different developers and saying, hey, we've got, I've got something new. I can run YouTube ads, like even using the same video we did before, I can run these YouTube ads to get more downloads for this app. And I reached out to them and we got, got about a dozen, over time, not all at once, but like about a dozen or so of these app developers to come on as clients to promote their mobile app. And so at the time, this was kind of the, the so I realized I need to create like another company for this. So I created what then became Ad Outreach, but originally it was App Outreach. So it was like YouTube ads for mobile apps. We drove you know millions of downloads, wide variety of different applications. And what we were able to do was YouTube ads to drive these mobile app installs. Yeah. So boutique, um, a boutique YouTube ads agency. Yeah, exactly. Ads. Boutique YouTube ads agency. And I was targeting app developers. Yeah. And what happened was in November of 2016, so I've been doing this for, doing the YouTube ad side, probably about a year on, on the ad side, but I officially kind of had formed the company in the summer of 2016, like more formally. In November of, of 2016, I went to HubSpot inbound, like HubSpot's conference. And that's where I saw the ClickFunnels booth. And uh-huh. I remember, and they, they were still in their early days at that point too. Yeah. So I remember meeting, you know, some of the different people there and actually met the the, the late Dave Woodward there, who's, okay. you know, one of the, the the top people over there before he passed away. And so I was, I was talking with him and with some of these other people. And I said, I'd love to, you know, build a funnel. This sounds great. And can I build a funnel with the run YouTube ads to a funnel. And so I then had, I signed up for click funnels. I left with a ton of swag and I got back to my college dorm room and I didn't really know what to do next because yes, there was training and I built out a funnel, but I didn't really know all the different nuance and I didn't know how to interconnect it with what I was doing with app developers. And so I found a consultant that was able to help me kind of build out more of a package and more of an offer that would allow me to more of like a package and an offer to be able to promote what I was what I was doing, helping at the time mobile app developers market their app using YouTube ads. And so So the offer was for your agency? So essentially yeah, an offer agency. to to have my agency uh, at the time come in and do the the yeah. mobile app marketing. And so essentially I realized I was doing a ton of things wrong. It's also a good example of it doesn't, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. You're going to learn. And also the importance of having a mentor and a consultant because I was, because I didn't even know, I hadn't learned how to do, I I wasn't, you know, other than, you know, reading some books that talked about ad agencies, I wasn't, I didn't know how to do an ad agency. So I thought you just include the ad spend in the price. And Mm. because we were so good at getting this stuff, it's just like, all right, well, you put this money in and I was going to put most of it into ads. Like, it was just funny. Like I, I didn't know how to charge for anything, sure, and sure. I had all these like kind of mistakes. But I was still successful. I saw, I knew I had something, and I think yeah. that's one valuable lesson. Anybody's you know watching, like even if you're making mistakes, use that as a a, a fuel to say, oh, once I learn this, it's going to be a lot better. Yeah. I think some people can look at mistakes and say, oh, I made mistakes. I'm going to kind of like they look at the money they lost. Yeah, and go, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm going to yeah. go. But those are learning lessons, right? And they're going to get you where you're looking to go. It's yep. like kind of like the tuition like that you pay to learn how to build yep. this. And so I got these consultants. And what they did is they helped me set up 
an offer. So like what's what does a retainer look like for this for for the the agency side of things? You know, they taught me some of those different elements. They also showed me how I could build a funnel to go from to, to actually reach new people. Because the, the problem was at that point, I had already tapped my app developer network. And so I wanted to reach new app developers. And so what I was able to do was create a funnel where it was a webinar funnel. So I made a webinar, um, made multiple iterations of that. The one that really took off was the eighth iteration of that webinar. So mm. I, I kept just going and, and making these evergreen webinars. They were all evergreen. You never did. Yeah. Know. Actually, yeah. It was funny because I just went straight to evergreen and just, and that was one of the things that they taught too is, is you, you know, having a webinar that always runs. Oh, yeah. And they were kind of, that was n- relatively new at that time frame too. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I didn't really realize it, but the, the online marketing space was making the shift to ever, like that was like kind of a new thing. And so I came in, you know, with the consultants that were showing me how to do that. And so I made that webinar showing app developers how I could market their, their mobile app with YouTube ads. And then I learned how to do like an actual like sales call. And were you doing YouTube traffic to that funnel? Yes. Okay. So you see where this is going. So they taught Facebook ads to the funnel, but I was like, well, I already know how to do YouTube ads. So I'm just going to do YouTube ads this funnel. Yeah. So I did YouTube ads to the webinar funnel to convert clients. And it worked incredibly well. We got a lot of clients coming in and a lot of people signed up for our webinar and watching our webinar. And this was at a time when, you know, People were starting to see on Facebook that like the show up rates weren't as quite as good on webinar. Like, and so I had other people in that mastermind. They were looking at what I was doing. They said, wait a second, how do you do that? And I, I what? YouTube ads. Everybody else here is doing Facebook. Right. And the consultants were teaching Facebook. And I was getting better results. And then I had somebody say, hey, well, can you just run YouTube ads for me? I'd love to get more people on my webinar. Yeah, yeah. So then I then I started doing as at that time as like an agency running YouTube ads for, you know, then more expert-based coaching, yeah, yeah. consulting, like higher ticket businesses, that's when I realized there's so much more than the app world. And I also really loved the impact of working with, because a lot of these, you know, people that have like coaching and, and program-based businesses and expert-based businesses, they're going out and they're like helping people in their lives or in their businesses sure. and creating these transformations. And, you know, and there's more more things you can do with the ads with higher margins, higher, you know, kind of ticket products. You're, you're relatively limited on apps. Yeah. And so I just love that. And so then I started doing YouTube ads for these different businesses and I scaled that up around, you know, like $60,000 a month. And at that point, I realized that, you know, I wanted to impact and work with more people. And I had a decision. I was at like a pivot point. And at that point, I decided to, instead of doing the agency side, actually shut down the agency side and start training businesses on... So you completely shut it down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. I, I, it was more of a phase out in that like, I stopped accepting new clients. Honestly, the last client, I think, like stayed for a whole other year before. But basically, I turned off like the you know accepting new clients. And what I did instead was I pivoted over. So it was a smooth transition. It wasn't that like abrupt and then... I would recommend a smooth transition in that I knew I could bring in new clients on this other model. Did you ever think about like, why didn't I just hire somebody to operate that business and keep it going? So in hindsight, yes, I do think about that. And it's kind of full circle because now we're at the spot where we're actually adding back in, you okay. know, yeah. ma- management for high, done for you. you know, done for you for high level clients. At the same time, I don't know, like, I don't really have regrets in that regard in that I don't know if I would have achieved the level of scale. So like essentially what we were able to do and the level of impact too, because what I was able to do is map out a done together process. Hmm. So what- This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. 
We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. It wasn't a course, but it also wasn't an agency. It was a hybrid. And there's more people that do that now, but at the time, not, not many people were doing that, especially for ads. Sure. And so what I was able to do was kind of a done together process where we would help our clients. We'd write their script, right? So we'd do that for them. There's elements we did for them. But then what we would do is we would show them how to set up their campaigns. We'd help them set up, like guide them through, okay, here's your first yeah. campaign. And then we'd help them optimize and help them scale. And so we essentially had our ad strategists, and we had clinics, and we had, you know, going back and forth with support to help them achieve that those results. And we helped them implement this in their business. Because if they're a smaller business than the entrepreneur or the operator, you know, they kind of need to be involved in that so they can really understand yeah. this important part of their business. That's the lifeblood of their business. So we're training either the entrepreneur or the operator at a small level. And then businesses that are a little bit bigger, maybe they had a marketer, a marketing director, or a media or a team, a media buying team. And we were training those teams and those marketers on our YouTube ad strategy to install it into their business. And that was incredible for those clients. And it was also incredible for us because it allowed us to have more scale faster than maybe an agency would. And that's where, you know, last last year, we were number, and this actually kind of stretches around around this time frame ish because you know, we made that shift in 2018, and in in 2021, which was I think based on the because it's a three year number, so like 2018 to 2021, we were number 87 on the Inc. 5000, you know, fastest growing companies. Last year, we were number 60 with like 6,052 percent growth wow. in a three year period, and part of that was being able to scale up this model and work with a lot of people. And we, we, you know, we just got 1,255. So a little, the growth is is not quite as much as what it was. It's 6,000% growth is, is, is a lot. And so we've built out a lot of, a lot of different things over this past year. And, and now we're actually excited because we believe it's funny because coming full circle, as I get on this podcast, I believe the key to our next level of growth and scale 
is is actually adding in more of the the management for higher level clients and then also in the future going into potential equity deals with companies that are looking to sure. you know really really grow and have us be a bigger part in it but i think that uh, uh and there's also software i'll talk about later too so i have got my plan to you know build and and i'm not shy about talking about this i want to build a you know billion dollar you know enterprise and overall business and uh, and at the same time, I want to do it the right way and, sure. you know, make sure I'm putting in all the pieces. And it's for it's not for the monetary side. It's I believe that I can do it. and I believe that I can have the impact. And at the same time, I also think even if you know somebody's watching this and you're I don't have, you know, maybe a vision that big yet. I didn't necessarily have that when I started. Yeah, I developed vision over time. And sure. the other thing, too, is if you ask me, it's like. You know, I can see the billion dollar, like I, I can see a, a vision of that. I, I can also see, I can see the direct path to, to like more like, you know, like a hundred, you know, million. And then it's, it's hazier beyond that. But I think that as you go, the next step unlocks you. It's almost like you can yeah, see totally. a few steps in terms of, all right, that's where I know I want to go. And I know I can get there eventually, but I don't really see the path clearly. And then you can see the clearer path, a few steps, you know, uh, like those steps ahead and you just kind of. Yeah becomes more apparent as you as you go forward. Well, and sometimes but. you have to, you know, achieve a goal to see that you do want a different yes. goal. Yes, yes. It's like you you make, si- like, the, the goal is six figures at first, you know, and then yeah. you make six figures and you're like, uh, actually, I want seven figures. Then you yes. make seven figures, you're like, yep. nah, actually, I want eight yep. figures. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. And it's not to say that it's, you know, one of those, like, well, one's enough, enough type of a thing. Yeah. It's just like you, you reach a goal and then you go, like, for you, you know, well, I'm 26. I'm not going to retire. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, what are you going to do? Yeah. It's, it's like, just be stagnant. You're not no. going to try to get better. You're not no. like, what, what's, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, dude, go for it. Yeah, go exactly. It. Constantly striving and growing. And I think one thing that I did learn over this last year, and then we'll, we'll kind of loop back to, you know, kind of where we left off with, with, with the, the, you know, kind of the, the journey. But um, I think this last year, what I learned though, too, is, and, and there's always been the, the growth and the constant cycle of like growing and becoming better. I think that that's always been directly tied in the past before maybe this past year to like massive increases in terms of like our revenue growth and our numbers and our like, you know, metrics and all that. And this last year, the growth has been a little bit slower than it's been some of the previous years. But we've grown so much as like an actual infrastructure business, building out all the operations like we grew and scaled so quickly. So even though, you know, you know, we're still growing, but like we're not at the same like you know, 6,000% growth, sure. uh, you know, in that period, of, it, like, uh, like uh, over this, this past year, operationally we're sound. a lot more yeah. operationally sound. We're more, you know, we've got more recurring revenue instead of starting each month, like, you know, all right, let's sign more, yeah. you know, deals here. Let's go hunt. Let's yeah. go hunt. You know, yeah. we're starting off at, at zero and pay, you know, payroll's up here. So let, let's go. Right. Like now it's like, all right, great. We, we're, we've got a recurring revenue that covers the expenses and we're going to keep like, you know, and, and so those are the things that, that I think are really, are, are, are valuable. And I think that that was totally, a big yeah. lesson I had over this last year that, you know, for, for people, you know, listening. And, and and I think that this also, different people have this at different stages. I happen to see a lot of, you know, growth relatively early on. But I think that what I, what I saw here was this growth in different areas and building out those, like the operational areas and even yeah. areas that are maybe a little less fun. Cause I love yeah, the marketing the and, areas, you yeah. know, and, and, and ads and, and also in leading the team, but there's also the operational side and the yeah. and the management side and the people side and all these different different elements. All that, the stuff you don't think you have to learn. Yes, when you but start. you do. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah exactly. And, and also looking at like business models, right, and, and evolving it over time. So sure. like what gets you, 
you know, you have to evolve the model to get to six figures and to get to seven figures and to get to eight figures. But then looking beyond that, you have to evolve the model again. That's what yeah. I, you know, learned again. So you have to fortify the enterprise value exactly. in the business, not just worry about turning and burning revenue. Revenue is not necessarily growing as quickly as it was before, although, you know, we're we're prepping to enter another season of growth uh, yeah. with some of the things we're putting in place. The interesting thing is if you look at enterprise value on you could be two to three times more valuable Absolutely. when you have recurring revenue versus yeah. Versus selling one-off packages. So you guys are now like for for these kind of done with you group coaching things. You're you're more focused on selling like monthly packages instead of focusing mm-hmm. on collecting cash up front. Exactly. Dude, I thought I was crazy when I was when I was I was talking to this guy that was a coach one time, and he was like he said something about like I told him you know what our numbers were and what what we sold that month or whatever, and he was like it seems like you could be selling a lot more like full pays up front. And I was like, yeah. But I don't want to. <laughs> like I yes. like I do like I do. I like cash. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But like but also I felt like before when I was selling them, it was almost like a cop out in terms of our services. Because it was like it, it only proves one thing. It proves that I can sell a person on the phone. Mm-hmm. It does not prove that that yeah. person wants to continue buying services from me beyond the initial sale. Whereas if I sell them, yeah, I don't make as much money right now. But assuming we do a good job, I will make more money in the long run. If I'm doing a good job actually providing mm-hmm. a quality product yeah. and solving a problem for my customer, yeah. right? So like, so it sounds like I'm not the only crazy one. It sounds like you guys are doing the same thing well, exactly. on a much higher scale than we yeah. are, but you're doing, you're doing the same thing. Exactly. And part of that too is even when you do knock it out of the park, right? Which, which is, has been our you know, experience. We re- re-sign a certain amount of people. There's a certain amount of people that upgrade the framework, right? With the other side, even if you, you map everything, you know, perfectly. There are still people that frame that treat it as okay. I bought this thing, and now you're selling another thing. Even when you have gotten a, like a really great result for them, mm-hmm. the, the expectation is set wrong when it's seen as an individual package. And then you try and sell them on you sell them on another package. And again, like we did this to a very very high degree with a very high success rate with our clients. Mm-hmm. The thing though that is different is. When you go for that upgrade conversation, like they're they're treating it as I bought a six month or a three month thing right. or even a year thing or whatever it is, and I've seen that to completion, especially when you're training somebody, and so you're having another decision, and just naturally, some people are gonna say, oh, yep. well, I might not want to buy again. Thank you so much. I'm gonna do a testimonial. This was great. Yep. You can use me as a case study. You know, and and that's always really good. And 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 I'll refer people to you. And th- and that really helped our business grow. But what I realized is we were potentially leaving like you know why would someone who's a raving fan not continue and it's because right. we were framing it even from the beginning the way you frame it at the beginning is that there's a starting the wrong and way ending. is that yeah. we're going to install this into your business there's an end date and of course you know many people were upgrading but there was you know the majority of people on that model that weren't upgrading yeah. even when they were like yeah I'll do a great testimonial I'll refer people and it's just different when you Add yourself to their business and you add yourself in a recurring fashion to say, we want to work with you long term. We're, we're a line item in your Exactly. Yeah. And and the other thing too is adding other elements in. So for a long time we were YouTube ads, just YouTube ads. And so what we realized is we need to help them with their funnel. We have a, mm-hmm. our video conversion funnel, right? So go from YouTube ad to you know our version of a VSL funnel. We can help them design that. Right. There's other elements around um, their YouTube channel. So we yeah. I went out and found one of the top like YouTube channel growth experts that was doing like individual consulting, you know, reached out to him. What would it take to, you know, do, you know join our team and, and brought him in? And so now he helps like 
YouTube channel growth and yeah. and, and yeah. our clients. So that's another thing. It's like, oh, you got the YouTube ads now, it's your YouTube channel growth. Omnipresent retargeting. You can now yeah. retarget. So now we create this process. And instead of upselling people to say, hey, I need to now have another sales conversation mm -hmm. with a client that I've already sold in this initial package to sell them on another package to say, now I'm selling them on omnipresent retargeting their YouTube channel. It's totally different than you have a certain initial minimum commitment or whatever commitment, like a, a monthly, the way we do it is we, you know, it's, it's, it's monthly, but there's this initial minimum commitment. And then after that, it's month minimum to month. in terms of the term. Yeah, a certain amount of months of, yeah, to start, yeah. you know, just because we know there's a lot of stuff that's front loaded and, sure. you know, and, and also sure. time that they need to, yeah. you know, to, to implement and see, see those results. But beyond that, then it's, then it's month to month, you know, and it's part of what you said is like we constantly re-earning, you know, yeah. ensuring like we already, client success is one of our biggest like pillars and we already had set the bar high in ourselves. We're like, we're setting that even higher. And, and so that's a big part of it. But also we're adding more things that we know that they need and making a progression saying, oh, now you're ready to start focusing on your YouTube channel, we, YouTube channel incubator, right? You can, you know, incubate these clients. You have ads bringing people in, but you want to have a channel that people can go and watch. Let's do omnipresent retargeting. You have all these leads and you want to warm, warm them up just like popcorn. You know, they're, they're, if you warm them up over time, they're going to convert and, and pop, you know, yeah. and essentially adding these different elements. And we actually have more planned. We actually have a whole, I've got a roadmap in my head of what we're doing to further add to our client journey yeah. and client roadmap. To make the recurring more valuable. So exactly. And them. provide more value to our clients and do that while still supporting them in our core area, which is the YouTube ads. Yeah, you know what's interesting, man, is like looking at when success leaves clues. You know, when you look at like the biggest companies, they are all obsessed with that. Yeah. They're more obsessed with recurring than they are like selling large upfront contracts. Mm -hmm. And the first time, first time I realized this, so I come from door to door sales. I did like six years of door to door back in the day and I sold solar and I sold alarms and I sold water purification. When I was selling alarms, it was, it was really when I realized this because we would sell, you know, two, three, five year contracts. Those were the options of the, of the term two, three or five. Mm -hmm. And when I was selling, I, I, I was always doing the math of my commission in my head. I was a 100% commission sales rep, you know what I mean? So if I raised the MRR, I would get a bump of my commission. If I gave away less equipment, I'd get a bump of my commission. So yeah. I had all these ways to manipulate how much I was going to get paid on the deal. And I remember the first time this guy offered to pay the whole contract up front. And I was like, oh, sweet. Like, this should be able to get me a couple extra multiples on my, on my uh, commission, you know? So I called the office and I'm like, hey, this guy wants to pay the whole contract up front. You know, what, what, what does that do to, to my commission? They're like, oh, it actually is a penalty on your commission. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? It's a penalty on my commission. He's going to pay, like, instead of 50 bucks, he's going yeah. to give us 50 bucks times 36. You know what I mean? It's yeah. $2,000. Like, how does this make me less money? Yeah. But it was because the monitoring stations that were purchasing the contracts from us as a dealership know from decades of data that the person's more likely to continue paying if they do it every single month. They get in the habit of paying that bill because it's a bill and that bill, like they're buying the three-year contract from us and paying more than the contract is worth. So like they would pay the dealership more than the contract was actually worth for the contract because they know this person on average will stick with them for seven, eight, nine years, assuming that it's a service that they actually find value in. But they would actually discount the rate that they would pay on the contract if it was paid up front because then they have to do the work of making sure that they go in and start recurring billing after the contract was over. And it was like one of the first times I was like, that's crazy to me that that but it's what these massive companies that have you know hundreds of millions or billions of funding are are doing because they understand that yeah. it's not about the initial transaction 
You know what I mean? It's about how long can you keep this customer happy, satisfied? How long, how, how good are you at solving this problem for them? And mm-hmm. is it painful enough for them to continue parting with money every month and making you a part of their, like we we're talking about, like they're just in, it's in the line item. It's in the budget now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Netflix. It's like Netflix yeah. is just, it's in the budget. You know what I mean? Like they can raise it from 16 to 18, doesn't matter. Still going to pay the extra two bucks. Like it's in the budget now. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know what to tell you. You know what I mean? So if you become a part of somebody's budget, so much more effective than like trying than selling one product one time and then also having to get back on the phone mm-hmm. to try to sell another product a second time when they don't even really believe that they need that product. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And maybe they had a bad experience because you're so focused on sales mm-hmm. and not focused enough on product or customer experience that like the set the when the second sales conversation comes around, they're actually like, ah, actually, you know, we're okay yeah. because we haven't heard from you in four months. <laughs> this is the first time we heard from you, and you're just trying to sell us something else now. You know, or even when they have a great experience, it was actually really interesting because I I studied this and looked at this, and I don't think I've really discussed this on a podcast. This is like you know, but even when, so, it's actually the interesting thing is when their experience is really, really, is, is really solid, but also there's still like new challenges that come up that we help them solve the new, ch- like, so essentially people that perform extremely well, sometimes they looked at it as this did amazing. Hmm. Check the box, solved all my problems. I don't need you anymore. Mm, Even yeah. if we do know that they're going to perform yeah. better by working with us longer term. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, well, you know, now we can help. Now it becomes a sale on, okay, well, we got omnipresent retargeting. We've got YouTube channels. Like, well, this is working so well. Yeah. I'm going to go, you know, now I need help with like my sales. I'm going to go hire like a sales you sure. know, trainer or whatever yeah. and, and and use that budget. And also, because we're now, we were also not selling a recurring thing. We were selling another package that maybe was higher and a pay us now or over one or two payments right. instead of, you know, over whatever the year that, that or six months to a year that we were selling. And so, ultimately is really interesting in that there was almost this area and you could even look at it. And this is one of the, the realizations that I had had of people that are getting strong results. And there's also just inside of their business, things that pop up that we're constantly helping like solve for them. So like some clients that like, if you think about ads uh, with like YouTube ads, right? We have clients that just hop in and they're just, their campaigns just like work yeah. and just take off. And at that point in the past, those would be clients you would think would be the no-brainer ones to upgrade. That said, their experience sometimes is the ads works incredibly well. You guys did amazing. I'm doing a testimonial. We don't need you anymore. We got this. And it's also kind of slightly hard to argue with that. The counterside, though, is the fact that we do know over time, even if they have it, it's going to degrade slightly over time. Also, plat- the platform changes. Sure. We're constantly, we got our finger on the pulse of the platform. And so actually, the interesting thing is a lot of those people reached back out. Like last year, YouTube made a major shift away from content targeting. I know we're not getting too deep into the weeds here, but they shifted over to audience-based targeting. And that's something that we saw coming. We built a software that actually targets audiences and things like that on YouTube. And so we were ahead of the curve and we actually had a lot of those, you know, people mm. reach out that, back, you yeah. know, come back, come back in. And, and I actually did a full like webinar, like I did a past client webinar. It's like, Hey, like, even if you don't come in as clients, I want to show you, here's how to transition your campaigns over. Cause I want to do that too. I want to like, you know, help like, even, even if you don't like, let me sure. show you how this works. And of course it's something you learn as a business owner, as you go over time, it's like, 
you provide a lot of value and that's actually just going to win for everybody. Yeah, totally. Right. Because well, they're going to yeah. look how complicated that is and just go, nah. Yeah, they're like, yeah, yeah. I'd rather yeah. you do this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or the people that do implement it and they're like, wow, you actually just gave me, you know, you could have just said, hey, go, you know, right. buy my thing right, again, right. but you just gave me an update on how this works. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to go now tell people like, Alex Grady takes care of like past clients. Somebody came in three years ago. It's like, hey, hop on this live webinar. I'm going to show you these big shifts that are happening. But it's really interesting because it's it's not how it should have been in that like people that get those breakout results, they, they're the ones thinking about it. It's like you want to create a situation where they don't think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're just in that background and you can help work with them consistently. And because you know that's ultimately what's best for them too. Because mm-hmm. I know that even if they feel like they've got it, something's going to happen over time where you know they're going to need our help and we want to make sure that we're there to support them. Yeah. And we have other things that we're adding in. So the YouTube channel, the omnipresent retargeting, supporting them and and uh, you know in those different areas yeah. in their business and even just business growth elements for especially for like expert based business cuz we've seen that, we've seen the challenges we can support them. And I think the big thing on your side it was never the the, the results were always like really like people you know go in and 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 implement the strategy and the process just because it's so meticulous that we have. That was never the, the, the challenge. I think the thing that we learned as we switched over to recurring, just how many touch points you need to have, even as people mm. are doing really well. So they need to know that you care yeah, yeah, and yeah. you're there to help identify and almost anticipate like even these quote unquote good problems to have. Like, hey, you might fill up your calendar so much that right. like you now need salespeople and yeah. let me connect you over here with somebody that can like help with that or you you know you might have a situation where you're now facing fulfillment problems of your own because you have a lot of these clients that are coming through here's like what we recommend yeah. to be able to like look at these different things and so i think that it's also getting into consulting too and just over time you know you have to start very kind of niche down yeah. and this is what you do but over time what you realize is you you want to if you if you want to work with a client long term there's other things that they're going to need there's other people you need to hire on your team to make yourself more well-rounded and robust if you want those long-term clients and if you want to really support those clients at a high level because it's not just that one thing like YouTube ads it's a lot more than just just the just the ads so let's talk about YouTube organic then, because I think that's something that really widely applies to a lot of the audience here. A lot of creators that listen, podcasters, people who have stuff on YouTube, including us, that we're trying to always get better on YouTube. I told you at the beginning of this conversation before we hit record that we made the mistake of waiting to get on YouTube until the beginning of this year. And so there's things that we're trying to figure out. Yeah, I'm curious how paid and organic work together and if it works at all. And then I want to talk to you about the, the new YouTube boost program that's seemingly <laughs> coming out now on select channels where you can actually boost because to, to my knowledge, before this boost feature came out, it could actually be bad for your channel if you ran YouTube ad traffic to the channel to boost subscribers or views. Is that right or is that wrong? So it's a nuanced answer. It's right if you do it the wrong way. Okay. So you can harm your channel. So it's actually really interesting because YouTube's now rolling out the boost feature, which does what we have actually been doing for quite some time to help with organic YouTube channel growth with what are called in-feed ads. So there's two main types of YouTube ads that I think is going to be valuable for people watching. So there's essentially these two main types. So one is the classic YouTube ad that you're familiar with, in-stream ads. Those appear in front of other videos, drive off conversions. That's also a lot of what we're talking about here. A lot of you know the clients that we, we bring in, they're looking for in-stream ads. They want people to sign up. They want leads. They want book calls, you know, sales, whatever it happens to be. 
So those are the classic ads. But there's also these in-feed ads, and these appear in search results alongside suggested videos, as you know, the watch next video yeah. on the YouTube homepage, on the app as you're scrolling, they pop up and they have the little like yellow like ad mm -hmm. thing next to them. And so those are in-feed ads. Those ads are essentially what the Boost program is doing. And you actually were able to manually set those up to drive new traffic and subscribers and actually help grow your channel. If you set them up the right way, what people were doing and why this YouTube ads to grow your channel got, or, or YouTube ads can actually harm your channel, uh, got popularized is because people were doing these in-stream ads, the, the videos that, that are skippable, like yeah, the, the yeah. in-stream ads that play before other videos. They were running those as ads to try and grow their channel. Maybe they had the call to action be to subscribe. The problem is YouTube cares about watch time. Watch time, watch time, watch time, watch time. Yeah. What do those videos let you do? Gotcha. They let you skip. Skip, yeah. So how long is the watch time? Well, the watch time is usually, you know, I mean, it depends on how long the video is, but usually sub, sub one minute, which can really harm your channel. Yeah. And so essentially, what you don't want to do is run a public YouTube video as an in-stream ad. Some people also get paranoid about running videos that they have on their YouTube channel as ads because they think that's going to harm their channel. Only if it's public. If it's okay. unlisted, it's not going to harm your watch time stats. Gotcha. But if it's a public video where you know it's, it's available to the public, that video can harm your watch time stats if you run that as an ad. So you want to run these in-stream ads from unlisted videos, and those drive off-platform. If you want your YouTube channel to grow, what you need are these in-feed ads instead. Okay. And what these do is they simulate discovering your content naturally. Got it. And so that's also why I it's say- It's just have giving to you an increased chance of- of impressions and click-throughs to the video itself. Exactly. Now, the reason that I say that you have to do it right for it to help your channel is it's just like organic content. Yeah. If you post bad videos- If your shit sucks, it's not going to make you it You know, better. or you clickbait, <laughs> yeah. then your your watch time is going to go down and it's not going to work. And so it's the same thing with in-feed videos is that you could do it wrong and your watch time could be- But you can also monitor all those metrics. So, so theoretically, if you want to do it the right way, mm -hmm. you would- in my brain, anyways, yeah. how I and, and this is kind of what I've been talking to my team about doing yeah. with some of our like you know bigger podcast interviews was like, well, what if we just let the algorithm do its thing for like thirty days mm -hmm. and see which ones have the highest click through rate, which ones have the highest watch time, and mm -hmm. then just boost those ones basically. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. What I will say though is what you may want to consider is, uh, and this is something that we um, we train our you know our clients and. And at some point, I might need to do, you know, because I obviously have a lot of webinars and trainings and things. I, I might need to do like a, a public training. So that actually puts a thought in my mind, especially now with the boost coming out, is like showing people how to do a better way of doing it. But basically, be a good time to hop on that trend. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, you're making me think of that right now. But one of the things that we do with our clients, and we, of course, have like, you know, all our client trainings and, and, and um, strategies. But essentially, what we do is we have them do exactly that. They look at what are your best watch time videos. What are the videos that are, if you're tracking clicks, you know, like UTMs and stuff, you can see, okay, what are the videos that are producing, you know, conversions? What yeah. are videos that are getting more subscribers, right? So let's look at all those things and say, okay, these are your top performing videos yeah. that have high watch time, high retention. They're, they're causing conversions, causing subscribers. Let's take that video. And with what you're saying, the basic version would be to boost. That didn't used to exist, but now it does. But there's an advanced version. The problem with boosting it is, and you've probably seen this, there's really no targeting, right? It's like, hmm. it's just kind of, okay, you want to just, re just reach yeah. people that are similar to those who are already watching the videos, which sure. is better than, honestly, it, 
kind of just creates a lookalike audience, which is better than no targeting. Because if yeah. you set up a Google ad with no targeting, then there really is no targeting. Basically, the with boost this, feature is like YouTube ads for dummies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. It's like a lookalike. It's kind of similar to like a Facebook boost. Sure. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a way to go in and target those in-feed ads to target those in-feed ads to your ideal clients or your ideal audience on YouTube in the Google Ads platform on YouTube. And so what you can do, and this is also the used to be the only way before the boost feature was there. So what you would do is you would go into your YouTube ads platform and you'd build out this in-feed audience. And you can still with that target do content targeting. So keywords they might search on YouTube. You can also do audience-based targeting. So you know things they've either searched on Google or YouTube, interests that they have. Mm. And you can basically target people that might be looking up, okay, you know, like networking sure. or you know, or or the, or the or like, guests yeah, of yeah, the Grant podcast. Cardone podcast. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then what you would do is is you would be able to appear right there at the top for those searches. Versus even if you take that, you know, like a, a Grant Cardone, you know, interview that you've done yeah. and you boost it, it may or may not go to people searching that because gotcha. YouTube's gotcha. just kind of going to do a, a, like a similar based audience. Versus you can actually say, I want to reach people that are searching, you know, his name on YouTube uh, or people who have an interest in him based on a, a YouTube, like a, Variety a audience. Of searches, yeah. Exactly. And so what you can do is target that. And the other thing is you can also add in, you know, uh, other demographic based targeting, household income. Hmm. Uh, they have some demographics, actually, I think, in the um, in the boost feature, but you can get more granular with it. Sure. And because you're doing this inside of Google Ads, you can you can actually split te- like you can split test different headlines and so so basically you can kind of change the headline and stuff. But, but what you can also do is you can see what conversions you get on the back end. There's just a, a lot more stats, hmm. so you hmm. can actually say, okay, am I actually getting view through conversions of people going to my site and doing this? You can and and the boost will show you your subscribers. It'll show you things around watch time, but this will just give you a lot more. Sure. So it's more targeted and gives you more analytics. That said, Boost is a good place to start. To the other started, thing that right. I found too is if you know how to target the right way, you can actually get views cheaper than Boost. Uh, with Boost, hmm. also, they just kind of give you an estimate of how much you'll pay per view. With Google Ads, you can actually just set up a, a CPV, so a bid you know, per, per view that you want to pay. Yeah. Typically, though, what we found is these the cost per view on these in-feed ads compared with an in-stream, the ads appear in front of other videos, is like a fifth the cost. Oh, wow. And so you can really get a lot of people coming in. And that's for the same targeting. You could do the same targeting, huh. right? You know, top 10% income earners, top 20%, like this type of stuff that we might do, right? That might not be for you, but, and and people who are, you know, have a business sure. trying to figure out how to market, we can, we can reach those people at a fraction of the cost. Got it. And then they go into the ecosystem. We can see how many subscribe, how many, you know, how many click off to our site and all that. What are some of the, I guess, red flags that exist in that space? So like there's all these click farms and websites to, to buy subscribers and buy views and all these things, and none of them ever work, right? Because you always have to, like, you're always going to have to keep up the pretense. Yeah. So you'll never get off the hamster wheel of continuing to buy more no, and yeah. more and more stuff, and yeah. it'll never get shown organically. It'll never build a real audience. Yeah. But I see people do it all the time, yeah. where people, they'll go buy, like, oh, I bought this channel that came with 150,000 subscribers. It's like, okay, but there's no videos. They don't know who you are. Like, it makes you look like you have a decent channel, but 
then you have to, then if you have 100,000 subscribers and you upload a video and it gets 200 views, well, that doesn't look good either. So now you got to like go buy fake views and now your video has 89,000 views on it, but like 88.8 of those thousand of those views are all fake and there's nobody actually watching it. Yeah. What are the dangers of, of doing that kind of stuff with your channel? It harms the watch time and also YouTube knows. And I think that it's interesting, like, They'll count those as views, which is kind of interesting. And it's also probably a game of cat and mouse, too, because everyone's still watching. Like, in the past, they used to really be fighting against it. So there was times when, like, so-and-so got XYZ subscribers removed yeah. because, you know, uh, YouTube cracked down. I, I think they care about it less now, but the algorithm knows. I, I think they yeah, also yeah, just yeah. know that, like, people people are playing that game. Like, the algorithm's smarter than it. Right. So there was a time when the algorithm wasn't quite as smart as it. So YouTube would actually sure. crack down. They would reduce view counts. They would uh, decrease subscriber counts, and they might still do that. I, I don't know, but I, I have heard like less of you know because less that that's that's been potentially happening. But those channels, they're just not going to get the traction because the algorithm is smarter than that. Yeah, and so essentially, the algorithm is really focused on real user watch time retention. What are real users doing? And that's also why the in-stream ads, like even though you're reaching real users, you're reaching them in a different way where they're going to skip the ad. Those you don't want to run to public videos. But with in-feed ads, it's basically, it's whether you do boost or you do the in-feed ad. And also the boost is is con- YouTube confirming what I've been saying. Because I actually had a kind of a, a little bit of a debate back and forth. Uh, I was at a mastermind with somebody who's like a big like uh, YouTube organic person who, who's great at YouTube organic. And he, he was saying, absolutely never run YouTube ads to promote any video. And mm-hmm. I was saying, well, you know, here's where we agree, but also here's where we disagree with these in-feed ads, yeah. right? You can run in-feed ads and then it's just amplifying what your video your would do already. And, and we've seen across clients, right? It's like, as long as you have your watch time be strong there and you got to monitor that, then it's going to help it. So it's just amplifying the number of impressions you can get. Sure. And then it's up to the video's merits, how that's going to help yeah. or, or harm right. your channel, which is why the easiest way is just take your best video. But YouTube releasing this boost feature is actually kind of... Um, uh, is is YouTube uh, signing off on what I've said historically because it yeah, is yeah, that feature. It's that was the, kind of the allowed. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're the, not going yes. to derank you if you do this type yeah. of advertising here. And it's and it's specifically the in feed ads because you know it's kind of like Google search ads, right? It's you're just peering higher in right. search, but then you know where you rank organically is going to depend on how your page does. So right. you can still do the ads. Can't promote dog shit. Yeah, and expect it to perform yeah. exactly. And so that's the thing. I think, though, YouTube probably should, like, I I do think that they should, especially as they're getting more people going into it, do something to either prevent or, like, the the algorithm issues that happen from an in-stream video being run as an ad. Because I think that even though we know that you shouldn't do that, I think that that does scare some people away because they've heard that, right? And I've heard that a lot. And well, that's I have why to I never did people. it. Yeah, that's why I never did it because, like, yeah. I, I I didn't want to do any of the fake stuff. You know, oh, yeah. like, I wanted to yeah. I wanted to grow because we're getting people that actually want to yes. watch our freaking content. Yeah. So I, I didn't I didn't touch any of that stuff because yeah. I'd always heard really bad things about it. Yeah. But then, like I said, I saw that boost feature came out and I was like, yeah. ooh, that's like like I yeah. said, it's, it's like they're they're endorsing it now. Like it seems like it's yes. okay at least. So that's why I wanted to to talk to you about it for sure. Yeah. So I appreciate your insight on that. Yeah. Well, listen, dude, this has been an awesome yeah. conversation. Fascinating stuff. I think people, whether they're a business owner, they're a content creator, there's something they can take away from this. So I appreciate you coming on the show. Talk to me about what you got going on now. What, yeah. What's next for you? Yeah. What I've been really focusing on in addition to ad outreach and everything we do, you know, helping business with YouTube ads, 
is we also have keyword search, which is our you know YouTube audience keyword research tool. Okay. People go in and they can just describe details about their business and they click a button, generate audiences. And we've been developing this for the last two years. Okay. So we added more AI features over the last you know uh, six months since like AI sure. really rolled out. But we've been developing this for the last two years. Essentially, originally it was just for clients. Um, now now it's it, it, it's available more publicly, but. What it does is you just describe your business, click generate audiences, and it'll give you all of the different audiences that you should target based on what your business does and based on what we know works on YouTube all in one place. You just select the ones that you want, click sync to Google ads, and in just a couple of clicks, you can actually sync full built YouTube ad audiences directly to Google that you can run your ads to. And it's the same type of audiences that we would manually create in a fraction of the time. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. Awesome. Before we sign off, where can people go follow you, learn more yeah. about you, get some of the some of that free value that you always are? Yeah. yeah. So I actually have a gift for anybody who's 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 watching or listening. I have my full 90-page YouTube ad strategy PDF. Walks through step by step. There's no fluff in there. It shows you exactly how it works, how to script an ad, how to target the ad, the whole process. You can go to adoutreach.com slash gift. That's A-D-O-U-T-R-E-A-C-H dot com slash gift. And you'll be able to get that full 19-page PDF. I also have, you know, a lot of my social media links on adoutreach.com and also just alric.com as well. Adoutreach.com slash gift. Go pick it up right now before you forget. And maybe maybe in the future, you'll see another gift there based on what we talked about today. About exactly. how to grow your channel yes. with, with YouTube ads <laughs> now, that they're, now that they're allowing it or seemingly more okay with exactly. it. Well, dude, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate your time and look forward to next time we get to hang. Yeah, thanks for having me on. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet. Then leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.